Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. What a, a special day that it is, Mother's Day. Uh, a day that we set aside to honor our mothers, to honor the women in our lives that are uh, special to you. Um, I know in my own life, I, I, I have an incredible mother and I, I don't have to, I never was, I was fortunate. I grew up in a great family and I didn't, I don't have to have that uh, aunt who was my mom or any of those things. But I know in my own life, there was ladies outside of my own home that were very instrumental in, in who I am. And, and to this day, they were just friends that, that I went through school. Um, I can think of one, uh, Mrs. Barker, that I still on a regular basis will give her a call and say, hey, mom, how you doing? Um, and we all have those. And so we take this time and we just kind of celebrate those women and we, we thank them for what they've done. And sad but true, we don't do it enough. And so if I could do this, if you are a mother, a grandmother, a whatever that would be, which would be the majority of the women in this room, would you stand and allow us as men and the others to thank you, congratulate you, to appreciate you, to honor you for who you are and for what you do. And so thank you so much. I apologize if you were expecting the traditional Baptist, who's the mother that has the most kids, who is the youngest mother and the oldest mother and the, all of those other things. Uh, I went to my wife a few weeks ago and I'm like, do we, should we really do that? She's like, no, we really don't need to do that. And so if you're really upset, I apologize. You can blame my wife. No, <laughs> because I didn't want to do it. As that, I wanted to do it differently, and uh, she was like, no, that's not very funny. So I actually, I sat under a, uh, a teacher when I was in college, and he kind of gave, gave some of us the what not to do on Mother's Day. And one of the things, this is no joke, he did this in church. He honored the mother who gained the most weight during pregnancy, uh, who had the longest labor. Yeah, so we won't do that, and... Uh, he didn't last at that church very long is what he told us. So, um, and the thing is, I really can see him doing that. And so it's one of those, it's not like I would say this as a joke and he probably really honestly did it. And so any rate, we're not doing that today, but again, thank you so much mothers for all that you do. Uh, my desire again today, as we get into God's word is that it would be an encouragement to you as a mom and to you as men and to others that are in the room tonight or today, uh, that we would be able to grow in Christ. I entitled this sermon super mom. Now to be real honest, uh, I, it's, it's not like it's 100% scriptural based on scripture that we're reading today that the, con, the connection or the, the whole passage is not about being a super mom. But uh, what I, I did that one, just kind of a play on the day that it is, but also I, I really believe if we were to, 
take, and you can put whatever you want to put there, super Christian, super dad, super mom, super whoever you want to put there. Um, But I really believe if we were to take some of these principles that God's word shows us and what Peter was writing to these these folks, as as we learned early on, the strangers that had scattered throughout and they were under great persecution and all of these things. If we were to take these principles and we were to begin to apply them to our lives, I believe all of us would have a change in our Christianity, a change in our walk, a change in everything that we do, the desires, the want tos, all of those things would change, which you may or may not call it a super mom or a super dad or a super Christian, whatever. But I really believe that those, uh, these things that we'll look at today could really benefit all of us. And so as we go through this, I think today, if you were to be honest with yourself, whether you're a mother in the room, whether you're a father in the room, whatever it would be, I'm going to gear it towards mom because it is Mother's Day. I think we would all have to say this and mothers, you would say this, this on your side of it would be, Your desire was when you were young, before you had children, and you did not know what you were doing, and now that you're older and you have children, and you still don't know what you're doing, the goal would be this. I'm sorry, that's not funny. You know exactly what you're doing. Man, you guys need to lighten up. It's okay. Um, but, But the goal was always that you would be that mother, that you would raise your kids to the best of your ability, that your kids would not be the ones that were screaming and throwing the fit in the cart while you're at the shopping center.
your goal would be if you're like me, I, I, as a father, I look at this and I think, man, I want to be more patient. I'm going to be that dad. You're going to be that mother who doesn't just lose it on your children. You are patient. You are kind. You are all the things that it says in 1 Corinthians, right? It was to be the one who had the child who did not throw the fit in the card and make you look around and wonder who was watching you. You wanted to be the mom who didn't put your kid down while they were screaming and go in the back room and just begin to cry and think, what in the world am I doing? I've completely messed it all up. You were going to be the mom who had the kids who went to bed when they were told to go to bed, who took the naps when they were supposed to take the naps. You were going to be the mom who had the perfect family photos that were hanging on the wall. You were going to be the mom who had all of these things in order and everything was was said. And when they came home from, uh, when the husband came home from work, it was going to be a hot meal and the, the, the house was going to be clean. And you were going to be all of those things. The perfect mother, the perfect family, the best Kids' parties were going to be thrown by you. The best crafts and the list can go on and on and on and on. And the reality would be this. Most of us sit here today and most of you sit here today having watched your kid throw a fit in the middle of the store at some time. Your home not being the cleanest. The family photos are not perfect I don't know about you, every family photo that we've ever taken, it's been a complete nightmare trying to get the kids just to smile for two seconds so that you can get a picture. My kids would do this, right? And then it's like, no, take a real picture. And then it's like the the cheese that's so big that you're like, no, come on. Or I think it was Madison when she was like one or two, she had fell down and had a big scratch on the side of her face the day before. And I believe that was from my father. (laughs) But the reality is our children aren't perfect. We aren't perfect parents. You're not the perfect mother and all of these things have taken place. You have cried silently in the back room while your kids are out screaming. You have texted or maybe you made a phone call to your spouse at some time and said, you've got to get home, I'm losing my mind. The reality is we've pretty much all done that. The reality is this, though our desire is, and we look at now in our day of social media, we look, we look online and you scroll through Facebook and you're like, oh, that, that mother and her perfect blog and her perfect pictures and all of the perfect crafts that she has in her home. And, oh, I just wish I could be like her and I wish I could and I wish I could. And I say this to you today as we get into this passage of scripture, for one, they look at you and they say the same exact thing. Because that's how we are as people. We desire to be more like the person that we think has it more together. And as we look at all of these things, as we go through this morning, we all desire to be the super mom or the super dad or that super person. And that is kind of the goal. And this morning, if I could encourage you, because all of us need encouragement, we all should be striving to do the best. Let me just say this. You should strive to have a clean home. You should strive to have an orderly home, to have healthy, warm meals for your family. And that's not because I'm telling you mothers that you have to do all of these things because I'm the 
the bad, nasty pastor, it is because our desire should be to do the best that we can in service of our family and loving and honoring God and doing everything that we can to the best of our abilities. And I would go a step further and say, dads, it's not just the mother's job to have a clean house and to have warm food on the table and to have order in your home. Because though the mother may desire to do all those things outside of the support from you as the father, as the husband, that will never take place regardless of how you desire to put your thumb down on your wife. We should strive to do those things as a body, as a, as a family and moving forward. And as we get into this passage this morning, you're like, what does this have to do with anything we're looking at? As we get into this passage, all of us strive to do all kinds of things. We want to have this perfect life. We want to have the perfect home, the perfect family, the, the, all of those things. That is our desire. And as we go into this passage, we move from some of what we looked at, the beginning stages of this, that hope of the future and the, the living hope that we've looked at and, and, and all of those things that Paul or Peter was beginning to write to all of the people. And it comes to a place now and he's looking specifically at salvation. And we look at salvation. We look at what God's word says. And what a, let me just say it this way, an incredible, powerful, hopeful, blessed, comforting word that we have in salvation. Salvation is the preservation or the deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. Salvation is a deliverance from sin and its consequences believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. And as we look at these things, the reality is all of us understand this, but when we come to a place of salvation, we come to a place where God has taken us from what we were and beginning to make us and made us who we are, but is continuing to make us for who we will be for all of eternity as we looked at a little bit last week. We look at all of these things We have the most powerful entity living within us and given to us that anybody could ever give. The salvation that we have because of Christ. And as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to stop and just think, Mom, how do you become the best mom, the super mom, if we want to call it that, just on the play of words. Dad, how do you become that, that the best dad, the best father, the best husband, the best whatever it is? How do you become the best you that you can be? And as I go through this and as I kind of studied and pulled different things out, really it comes down to a place where when we fall into a position of salvation, where we come and we say, God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for sending your son. I come to a place where I, I recognize that I need a savior. I recognize that I have sinned and I recognize that I, I need to fall on my face before you and give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and be the Lord and savior of my life. When I come to that place, a lot of things ought to begin to change inside side of you. One, your eternal destiny changes, right? But beyond that, every day of our lives ought to be affected by that decision. And when we look at this passage of scripture this morning, it begins to take us through one. I'm just going to very briefly touch on the very beginning of this passage, 10, 11, and 12. But it looks at, man, this whole book takes us through salvation. Starting from the beginning all the way to the end, it points to a Savior 
from the prophets all the way through. Every piece of this points us directly to a Savior, points us to God. And as we go through this, we can begin to ask some of these questions. I just kind of put it down this way. We have the ultimate power, the ultimate hope, the ultimate gift. But what will we do with it? How can we experience that salvation daily? How can I be the best mom, the best dad? How do I truly engage in this quote-unquote superpower? Because I think we hear it often that we are to be that, but how do I engage in that? And so if you would go with me to 1 Peter chapter number 1, we'll start in verse number 10. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse number 10 this morning. And it says this, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should have or should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. And in verse 13, it says this, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end of the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Father, I come to you this morning and I just ask, Lord, that most importantly, the word of God would pierce into our hearts. But God, I pray that that we would take these truths and that, Lord, we would apply them to our lives in a daily fashion, in a daily manner. Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored through our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Again, we come to this passage, and it's in those first few verses, 10, 11, 12. Peter is looking at the prophets, and the emphasis there is that they had, they had salvation. That emphasis was that of salvation. They, uh, the salvation the prophets had inquired and searched diligently. They were constantly searching. They were, they were growing. They were, they were striving to, to better know what they had been taught and what they had been given by God and what they were then teaching to those of the Old Testament. It has always been the emphasis of the entire Bible, that of salvation, the gospel, which was their greatest passion, that God's promised salvation was to come. See, the prophets revealed or received the revelation and and salvation, but never got to know it the way that you and I would get to know it. The Messiah that they wrote about, they never got to see. They never had the completion of salvation and death and the burial resurrection. They didn't live. They lived before that. They were prophesying of that. God had spoke to them to tell them what was to come. And they began to write those things down. They didn't experience it even more like the apostles got to to experience it. And just like the apostles didn't experience it the way we get to experience it. Because it wasn't all completed. And as they were writing and as they were sharing all of these things. They spoke of the grace the forgiveness. They recognized the grace that was to come 
beyond just Israel. The prophets studied many things and were given much prophecy through the revelation of God, the sufferings of Christ that would come, the glory that would come in the future, how powerful that it's written, that it was revealed not just for them, but it was for all mankind to come. And Peter kind of writes this and he he puts it out there that this salvation was always the plan. It was always what that was. And as we look at this, and as we kind of move forward into the, the points this morning, salvation was and is central to all things in Scripture and what the prophets preached. And today we look at that question of how do we tap into that superpower? What are some things that we must do? Because what we're looking at is we talked or we look at 10, 11, and 12, the salvation the prophets had, searching that with the manner of time and spirit of Christ and unto whom it was revealed and so on. We look at those things and then it says, wherefore, now listen, because of this salvation, because of this hope, because of all the things that we have looked at these last several weeks, it says, now do something about it. Now do something about it. It is one thing to have been taught. It is another thing to take what you've been taught and apply it into some form of fashion in your life. And so we look at this this morning. What action must we take? Mom to be a super mom. Dad to be a super dad. However we want to look at these things. But the first thought is this, that we must prepare We must prepare our mind. Prepare your mind. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This would be a familiar phrasing here, girding up your loins. If you're familiar in Ephesians, it speaks of uh, uh, putting on our, our, our loins in the battle, putting on the full armor of God. This morning, though we're not talking about the full armor of God, we're looking specifically here is what Peter's looking at, at our minds. It says that we would, we would gird up the loins of your mind. Literally, and I, I'm not going into great detail, but as they would go to battle, they would wear their, their robes and then they would, they would cinch up the belt and they would grab all the loose ends and they would tuck it in and they would, they would tuck in the corners so that they could run, so they could move freely. And literally what this is saying is grab a hold of, cinch up, tighten up the gird your loins, gird your mind, grab all of those loose ends. All of those areas of your life. And it says literally, more specifically, that we would be disciplined in those areas. Fixing our mind, preparing our minds. And it says on what? It says the hope to the end for the grace. As we look at this passage of scripture, fixing our minds on hope. We've talked about hope. If you've been here, that the hope that we, we spoke of, that hope that we have in Christ that I mentioned a couple weeks ago, that it's not about us, that it is eternal and that it is protected. We are to be prepared. We are to, to gird our loins. We are to cinch up. We are to tuck in all of those loose pieces. Be prepared to go into battle. Again, for you and I, those loose ends of our minds, of our lives, disciplining ourselves so that we can live according to the principles that God would have us to live untangle ourselves from the sinful hindrances and the conduct of, or and to conduct a righteous life. He says to that of hope, act decisively based on our will, not our emotion. 
Live expectantly, anticipating with a living hope, a lively hope we spoke of a few weeks ago. Again, hope being similar to faith. It is trusting God. Faith is trusting God in the present where hope is, is, is in the future. Trusting what is to come. Faith appropriates what God has already said and done in his word while hope anticipates what is to come and what has been promised in his word. We owe our hope on his graciousness and his faithfulness. His perfect salvation that has been provided in Christ resulting in forgiveness for all past, present, and future. That we would have the transformation from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. See, God has been faithful in the past and He'll be faithful in the future. Let me just say this, Mother. Gird up your loins. Since all of those things, take all of the thoughts and begin to, to wrap them around Christ. Wrap them around God's Word. Discipline your mind. Discipline your mind. Because as we discipline our mind on hope, it doesn't just say hope, but it says the hope. And then it says grace. We hope in the grace brought by the revelation of Jesus Christ. We hope, we look forward to the grace of that resurrection is what it's saying. That second coming in Revelation 1, it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which, uh, which pierced him in all kindreds of the earth shall we, shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. We look forward to the day. Here's what that is. I am hoping in that day, we just did a dedication of a child, and as Lydia, we hope and pray what? That God's word would pierce into her heart that she would come to know it. We hope that one day she would grasp a hold of it. We hope we live according to that. Listen, as you raise up your children, gird your minds about what the hope because of how gracious he is, the grace that he has given us, that there is it coming a day. Listen, why do I do what I do? Why do we, we act the way that we act? Why are Christians who they are? It ought to be one because of how God has changed us. But God has changed us and we live the way that we live because we know there's a hope of something to come. And that hope to come is that He would come. Behold, He cometh with clouds and every eye will see. We long for that day, but I hope because of the grace of God, I trust because of the grace of God that that is what's going to take place. And therefore, I live accordingly to those things. It doesn't just say that we would hope for the grace, but it says, gird up the loins of your mind, and it says, be sober. Keep sober. Because of these things, because we, we cinch up our loose ends, because we, we fix our mind on the hope, the grace of His revel revelation, we keep sober. Literally, it is to not become intoxicated. That is, we will not lose control of our thoughts and our actions. Speaking spiritual steadfastness or self-control in our minds. A clarity of mind and a discipline of heart. Being in charge of your priorities and balance of life and not allowing the influence of the world to dictate your actions. Listen, this morning, as a mother, you are one that is, uh, I hate to say over the home, but you are the one that's truly setting the tone in your home. 
You are the one that is the nurturer. You are the one that is the, the carer. You are the one that, that is all of those things. The sweetness of the home, the, the tenderness of the home, and, and the order of the home most always goes through the mother because that's how God designed it. And listen, if your mind is not in place, if your mind is not hoping, if your mind is not being sober and, and trusting in the faith and trusting in the grace of God, if your mind is not that, none of those other things can begin. You cannot be sober if your mind is not fixed on the hope of God and the grace that God has given you that one day this is to come. It can't be. Can you run a home? Sure. Sure, we can all do that. You don't have to be saved to have an orderly home. But as a believer in Christ... You want to be the, the best, most godly mother, the best, most godly uh, influence in your home and all of those things. Listen, we've got to cinch up all of those loose ends just as they did before they would go to war and they would tuck it in and they would grab this corner and tuck it in and they would grab that corner and tuck it in so that they could run, so that they could act swiftly. We need to do the same thing. Listen, man, it's no different for you. Cinch up all of the loose ends. Guard your mind, guard your eyes, guard your heart. That we not be that we would be sober. Listen, you all know what it is to be intoxicated physically with an alcohol or with some form of substance. You may have never done it personally, but you know what it is. You've seen it. It is somebody that is not acting themselves. It is out of their body. It is out of their mind. It is, it is a, an action that is taken. And God's word says to be sober. Listen, in our minds, we must discipline ourselves, have self-control, that we would not be that in our spiritual minds, but that we would be focused on who Christ is. So we must first... And foremost, we must prepare our mind. The next one is that we must respond in holiness. If we were to continue, it says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The reality of our lives being holy is a byproduct of, of our minds being firm and steadfast in Christ. The action side of it is really a byproduct of our minds being, uh, being girded up or being uh, really cinched up together and having our stuff together in the best that we can. As we prepare our minds to be under control spiritually, our actions begin to fall into place. The more our minds are set on Him, the more our desires are on Him to live in obedience and thus a life of holiness. First John 3 and verse 3 says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Salvation offers a genuine hope, but it also gives us a desire to live pure. It is a genuine feeling of obligation to live righteous for the one who saved our life. I've said this, I've used this example, but if somebody, if I'm about to get hit by a car and somebody uh, comes by and saves my life, they are my salvation in a physical manner. When they come by and they save my life, whether it was uh, moving me out of the way or, or whatever it would be, a doctor that performed a surgery and they saved your life, whatever that is, we feel in our minds, we are obligated, we owe them something. 
because they did something that they did not have to do to save you. Christ did something that he did not have to do to save me. And when he comes in, when he saved me, when he gives me that salvation, I should feel and I should live a life of obligation of honoring him in every area of my life that I can. And obedience characterizes a true believer and it distinguishes us from a non-Christian. Listen to that. Obedience should characterize each and every true believer and it also distinguishes us from a non-Christian. It is part of what really sets us apart from one who does not believe. True holiness has a negative aspect to it in this this regard, that we would choose and desire to not conform to the world's system around us. We would not be fashioned by those things around us. We wouldn't fall trapped to the former lusts, the former things in our lives, the former desires of evil thoughts, uncontrolled appetites, sensual impulses. And the unrighteous motivations around us. Listen, listen, listen. I read it just as much as you read it. And when you live your life a little bit different, everybody else wants to say what? Oh, you're just one of those judgmental Christians and you're just one of those judgmental whatever. Listen, you can do right and not judge and love people. You can do right, love people and not judge. You can do it. That's what we are called to do. But at the same time, regardless of how you live your life, when you are doing right for Christ and you stand up for right, you are going to have people that are going to say, oh, you're just one of those judgmental Christians. Regardless of how loving, regardless of how kind, regardless of how patient, regardless of any of those things, the world around you is still going to call you out and say, you are this, this, and this, and this. Why? Because we are, in, we are born with a conscience inside of us, and when I know I'm wrong, I live guilty. And when I live guilty, it's never my fault, it's always your fault. That is the society, that is the world in which we live, and it has been from the beginning, it will forever be. You must live Righteous, by having a sober mind, by keeping all of those things. In Colossians, in verse chapter 3, it says this, in regards to holiness. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, put to death therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Listen, as we desire to live holy, we need to put away all of those things. That passage there in Colossians, it said what? To seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection, set your love, set your passions on things above, not on the things that are here. 
respond in holiness. As our minds are right, our natural affection is to respond and set our affections on things above. Not on things here. These things don't last. In Leviticus chapter 3, I've lied, I believe it's chapter 11, it says, Ye shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, neither shall ye make yourselves unclean with them that ye should be defiled thereby. It says this, For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Listen, we as believers in Christ, if we are to live the life that we are calling ourselves to be, you are calling yourselves a Christian. I call myself a Christian. That is to be Christ-like. If that is in fact the truth, if that is who I am and that is what I'm proclaiming to be, then I have to set my affections differently than those that are around me who do not claim Christ. My life should be different. As it says in this, in the book of Leviticus, it was talking about, and get it, we're talking about all the laws and the things, and God says, don't, don't make yourselves uh, abominable with any of these things. Set yourselves apart. He said this, ye shall therefore, what? Sanctify yourselves. Listen, we have to respond as believers in a holy manner, living a righteous life. How do we do that? Because we gird up the loins of our mind. We live sober. We hope for the the grace of God and the revelation that is to come. And as we do those things, we naturally fall back and we naturally desire to live a righteous life in honor of Him. I thought of this the other day as I get into this last point. I've been so fortunate to have four children. God created each of us, and I've said this so many times, in relationship with Him, that we would honor and worship Him. That's why we were created. God breathed life into existence into Adam back in the garden, and the desire that He would work until, and they would worship God, that there would be fellowship and communion with God in the Garden of Eden. You know, just the same... As my children, though they don't understand this, the older that we get, we begin to understand this. Our kids honor us. If you're a mother in this room or you're a father in this room, they may not honor us in the manner that they worship at our feet like we would worship at the feet of Jesus. But just the same, we honor our parents. Our children honor us. And here's what I mean by that. See, when my kids go to school and they bring home that A-plus paper, we are proud of our children. When my kids go and they participate in a sport, when they are finished, we are proud of who they are because they worked hard and they, they did their best and they did those things and they are honored. When we do church awards or when they do school awards and your kids go up and they accept their whatever that award is, what do we do nowadays We'll do this in a couple weeks. We've got a WANA Awards coming up. 
Kids will come up here. Moms and dads, where will you be? You'll be as close as you can so that you can get a picture of your child taking that award, whatever that is. Now, sometimes it's kind of one of those, okay, this is really silly. I don't want to do this. But we're proud of our children. I goof on my kids all the time, but I just, I'll be real honest. I am proud of my kids. My kids make me proud. They honor me. And as I look down and I say, wow, that's my child. It is our, or ought to be our desire that we would cinch our minds, that we would purify our minds, that we would, we would keep sober in our minds, that we would do righteous or that we would live righteous and make active righteousness, righteous decisions and holy decisions. Why? So that we would honor him that as he's there, God is saying, wow, I'm so proud because we're doing our best to just honor God. Listen, the older that I get, the more I desire to honor my parents. It's just the fact of life. Because I now understand their situation a little bit different. I now have kids of my own. And I think to myself, wow, did I do that to my mom and dad? And I guarantee you I did. (laughs) Right? And the little bit older that you get, you more understand and you genuinely respect and honor your parents differently the older that you get. Right? Do you agree? I look at my parents today completely different than I did when I was 15, than I did when I was 20, than I did when I was 25. Because I'm at a different stage in life today. And as we go through this, it's the same thing. My actions, I've said this before, my actions as a son hit me gravely when I was about 16 years old and my dad told me when I started to work at the same shop that he was working at, and some of you remember this, he said, son, you work here and you work hard because you have Flanagan as your last name. And I've been here for a long time and you'll honor that name. Those aren't exact words, but something along that line. And I'll never forget that as a, as a young man. But you know what? As I stand here today at 36 years old, I've never forgotten that. And to this day, I want to make not my mom and dad proud. I want to make them proud. But I want to honor them. And I want to honor God even that much more by the actions that I live and living a holy life. And that takes place as I cinch up my mind, as I gird my mind, as you gird your mind, that you would live and respond in holiness, and lastly, that you would respond in honor. As our minds are girded and stable and set on the living hope and the grace of God, we can act in a holy manner, and thus wrapping up this morning is responding to the Lord in honor. It literally says to conduct our time here on earth in fear or in honor or reverence or in awe and respect towards God. In verse number 17 it says, And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. If you call on the Lord, it says, then pass the time as you're here in fear, in honor, in reverence of who He is. Our response must be in honor and reverence to the Lord. 
As a believer, we ought to address the Lord as Father. Our Father, it says, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We must conduct ourselves in, in holiness. It should be our desire to be in a right conduct in our time here on this earth, according to our work. It's not our works that save us. It's not our works that save us. But it is our works that shows Christ every day that we love Him. In 1 Corinthians 4 it says this, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. God is the judge. God is the judge, and one day each and every one of us will stand before the judge. It is my duty, it is my honor, it is my job, it is whatever it would be that I would live a life honoring Him, knowing that one day I will sit and I will stand before Him. And each action that I take will be judged by Him. Not by you, but by Him. That ought to be the fear of our life in a good manner. That I stand humbly before Him. That I would honor Him with my life every single day that I live. Today, each and every one of us desire to be the supermom. You desire to be the best father. Listen, I don't know how it goes for EJ when he goes to school. But if it goes anything like when I was a kid, it's going to be something along the lines of my dad is stronger than your dad or my dad is, is bigger than yours or faster than yours or any of those things, though he does not understand that his dad is not stronger than much of anything. But you know what? My son would look up and say, dad is great. Yesterday we took a walk and we walked to the field and we were just before getting ready for bed and the kids were racing. It was Brinley and EJ. The others were out doing some other stuff and they begin to race and EJ begins to get upset because Brinley was able to beat him in racing. But it took one time for him to race dad and all of it changed because he crossed the line before dad. Then all of a sudden, yeah, look how fast I am. Now he had like a three-quarter of a lap start before I even started to run. We know how that is. We do that with our kids and have fun with that. But you know what? To those kids, to beat dad, to beat mom in fun, why? Because they think you are awesome. They think we are something. Because to them we are. 
and I want to be the best dad, and I know my wife strives to be the best mother, and you strive to be the best mother, and you strive to be the best dad, and the grandfather or grandmother or whatever it is, wherever you sit in this life right now, you are striving, hopefully, to be the best that you can. But listen, let me just encourage you, let me remind you that God has given us salvation. I look around this room, there's not many that I, know, I don't know. And I would guess that probably the majority in this room would all raise their hand and say, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. Then listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Then we have a responsibility to respond in action according to what we say we believe in our minds. So let me beg you. Would you begin to gird up the loins of your mind? Stay sober in your mind. Be disciplined in your mind and hope in the grace and the mercy of God and the revelation that is to come. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.